Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Business of Design. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Kimberly Selden, and because you're here, I'm not alone. Thank you for that. There were so many years as an interior design professional that I felt utterly alone, caught between the clients and the trades, always in the wrong, never in the supported position, doing my best on every single project to make everyone happy, even if that meant sacrificing my own well-being, my own free time, my own sanity, if you will. I was thinking recently about the decision to become an interior design professional. My first career was television. I spent three seasons on a really fun television show at ABC in Los Angeles called Ripley's Believe It or Not. It was a zany office with the coolest people. In fact, there were only about three of us who weren't famous. Our boss was Jack Haley Jr., who was the Tin Man's son, Jack Haley Sr., of course, played the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Jack Haley Jr. was married to Liza Minnelli. So Liza Minnelli was in and out of the office all the time. We also had Judy Garland's son, Liza's stepbrother, Joe Luft, working with us. Errol Flynn's daughter, for those of you who are old enough to remember swashbuckling Errol Flynn. We had Bing Crosby's grandson, Sammy Davis Jr.'s son, and quite a few other celeb children on staff. Not me. I was a regular nobody, came from a hardworking blue-collar family, and we were so lucky because we had everything we need. I'll tell you what I wasn't aware of, though. I wasn't aware of interior design. had no idea that was even a thing. I had never picked up a home design magazine. I don't even think I knew they existed. And certainly none of my friends growing up had homes that were anywhere as luxurious as what I became exposed to. Imagine how my mind was blown when my co-workers started inviting me over to their apartments and especially over to their parents' homes. I just had never been exposed to that kind of luxury. I had, of course, seen luxurious resorts and hotels. I'd stayed in some nice hotel rooms by this point, but I was never exposed to anyone who was house proud. It's interesting. I didn't covet the wealth, the just generic wealth. That wasn't attractive to me. But having a beautiful home that functioned and felt the way these homes felt, man, that I wanted, that I did desire. So this was the early 80s, and it was just about this time that I stumbled onto a television show. I remember being mesmerized by the television show Designing Women. Remember that show? Oh my gosh, it was so fun. The lead character was this outspoken feminist brassy broad named Julia Sugarbaker. I mean, right there, you had me at Sugarbaker. And she had this beautiful home in Atlanta, Georgia, and she ran a business out of that home with her friends. And her friends included an ex-beauty pageant girl, a divorced single mom who was really smart, and then a really naive country girl. And on those occasions when they needed a man to do some heavy lifting or they needed a male perspective on the show, I guess, they had this guy named Anthony who was an ex-con who would come in and out of the office. 
I remember watching that show and thinking it would be so cool to be part of a team like that, a real community of sisters working together, playing together, and having each other's backs. I also noticed that they came to work whenever they wanted to. They always looked fabulous. They had the big 80s hair and the shoulder pads and the nails. And if they worked hard, you didn't see it, and it certainly never interfered with all the other fun things they were doing. Sign me up, right? Anyway, as I was thinking about that, I started wondering about our reputation on television and in the media, the reputation of the average interior design professional and how we're perceived by the media. So that's what I want to talk about in this episode, number 118, how TV and media portray the interior design professional. In other words, how are they talking about us? I hope I've piqued your interest and we are going to jump into the show. But first, let me tell you about the newest sponsor we have at Business of Design. And thank you so much, buildlane.com. Put your hand up if you have been in the industry long enough to see a boom and a bust. (laughs) Okay, I know. I can't see you, but I know you're there. I launched my firm in 1991, so I feel like I've seen everything. And I can tell you right now, We're having a boom where we are. That's amazing, except for one thing. Some of the trades and suppliers I rely on all the time are so busy, they are not being as responsive. Recently, I found myself needing a custom sectional for a client and needing it fast. Here's where Build Lane comes in. It's a simple to use, and I swear, I mean so simple, website and app that allows you the awesome design professional that you are, to order your custom case goods and upholstery efficiently and reliably online. I signed up. It took me a nanosecond to do it, and I mean a nanosecond, and I placed my first quote request within minutes. Right away, I got an email back from the Build Lane team who said they received my quote request, they were working on it, and they would be back to me within 72 hours. Wowza. This seemed a little bit too good to be true. So we reached out to the Business of Design community and said, hey, do any of you have real life experience working with BuildLane? And we got a resounding yes back from our community. In fact, one of our members, Cami Reese of New York City, says she's been working with them for years and she can't recommend them enough. So I reached out to her. I've been working with Build Lane for over seven years, since before they were Build Lane. I found Frank on the internet somehow through a search, and he makes things for me that are specific to my detailed design. He always delivers on time the product that I anticipate, and when there are glitches in the process, he makes them right. He's responsive. I get to deal directly with him. I send him finish samples. He sends me back his own finishes to make sure that everything's in line and in order before he gets started. He pays close attention to detail and he delivers what I expect, what my clients expect. He's come to be my single provider for upholstery and case goods. That's a pretty good testimonial, I must say. They pay attention to design details, they pay attention to timelines and budget, and they pay attention to me, the designer. And by the way, it's custom, which means you can actually sell it to your clients for a reasonable price. And 
make a living. Visit buildlane.com and sign up today. Let us know what you think. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. For independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Let's hear from Cheryl Horn really quickly and I'll jump right into the episode. I'm glad you're here. Cheryl, tell us all the things. All the things? Lots of things. We have this week our next group coaching sessions on uh, June 26th, Wednesday, 1 o'clock EST. So we've already got a lot of questions coming in for that. You can register online and there is a form to submit questions in advance. If you're not able to attend, get those to us. Uh, We do still have a couple spots left for the retreat coming up October 24th to 27th, $2,800. Registration and details are on the website for that one as well. And then in January, the conference. We're going to have more information about the conference in the coming weeks and months. We'll give you details on the itinerary and what you're going to be learning, although there is an outline already at businessofdesign.com, so go on there and check it out. Jump in early for the conference. Uh, The more we know our numbers in advance, the more we can do some heavy planning and make sure this is the best conference you have ever been to in your life. We are ambitious. So sign up today. Uh, $11.95 is the early bird rate. You're going to save $200. Again, it's January 25th and 26th, 2020. If you've never been to market. We'll tell you how to do that as well. All you need is really good shoes and team BOD to show you around. <laughs> and the conference is on Saturday, Sunday, and then the market gets started on the Monday. So you can join us for the conference and then uh, attend the market right after, which is great. And we're going to have some fun things planned for that as well. Yeah. And we're going to be staying at the Win, Cheryl. Team BOD is staying at the Win. It's a good location in terms of getting to the conference or getting to the convention center easily. Uh, it's close to the mall, the fashion show mall, and that's kind of fun. Uh, but uh, you all can stay wherever you like. So if you've got a best friend in Las Vegas, now's the time to crash at her place. I think we're going to see a lot of people show up with a partner or spouse so they can spend a couple of extra days in Las Vegas, and that seems like a really good thing to do for yourself in January if you're living somewhere where the weather is not so cooperative. (laughs) Turn into a little mini holiday. Exactly, exactly. Thank you so much, Cheryl. We'll talk to you soon. And now back to the show. So as I said before announcements, I got my introduction to the world of interior design through television in the 80s, watching the program Designing Women. Not exactly reality, but then again, it was a fictional sitcom meant to entertain. What did it owe the profession after all? Nothing really. That's true also for Will and Grace. Grace has this career, supposedly fabulous. She manages to look stunning all the time, have a great wardrobe, and keep a New York City apartment. She also has an assistant. Okay, her assistant is Karen, 
Uh, which, oh my gosh, was there ever a more fun character in the whole world than Karen? My favorite line of all time, she's explaining to Grace how you have sex with someone you don't really care about. And she says, point your heels to Jesus and think about handbags. (laughs) I can't even believe it. I was sitting at the time drinking iced tea and I snorted it right at my nose. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. So I love Karen. In between all the hilarity Jack and Will and Grace and Karen get up to, it's easy to fall in love with Grace, and Deborah Messing truly is a comedic genius. But we don't really ever see Grace's character doing anything more professional than maybe holding a few fabric swatches. Then there's the crew from Absolutely Fabulous, okay? Again, they look great. They're drunk. They're not working. Not really. In none of those instances are interior design professionals portrayed in anything that looks like a professional capacity. Now, of course, it's fiction. So honestly, what do I expect? And certainly interior designers are not the only ones adversely affected by this. Doctors, lawyers, teachers, they all tell you that what you see on TV isn't necessarily reality. But here's something I've noticed. Sure, sometimes doctors, teachers, and lawyers are portrayed in a two-dimensional comic way, but other times they are portrayed as serious professionals worthy of respect. I'm not sure we get the same treatment on the flip side. If we move our attention over to reality shows, it's bound to be better, right? You know where I'm going. Although we want the reality shows to tell a different story, too many of them rely on someone who looks beautiful in front of the camera, yes, and has great hair and great clothes, taking credit for what people behind the cameras do, or sharing a little credit, but not really. As with fictional shows, the goal of these shows is to create entertainment and inspire consumers to share with one another what great drama happened on last week's episode or last night's episode. (gasps) Did you see the big reveal? Can you believe it? I get that. Of course I do. I had three of my own TV series, but uh, back in the late 90s and the early aughts, when I had Design for Living with Kimberly Selden, there was an emphasis on education. There was an emphasis on the consumer learning some practicalities about good design. In fact, my job was to travel the world and meet all kinds of interesting interior design professionals, tour the homes and monuments and properties that they built on behalf of clients and learn from them. So for me, it really was my biggest education in terms of decorating. It's kind of hard to find episodes of Design for Living now. At one point, we were in 75 different countries around the world, and that was really fun. When it came time to renew the television show, they wanted a new twist. They wanted me to take teams and teach them how to decorate, and that just didn't seem like a good idea to me. Turns out, a lot of people want to watch that stuff. But does it portray the work we do in the right way? in a way that feels respectful and in a way that allows consumers to see the value we bring to the table. I'm not so sure. If you think about what we do from day to day, it's hardly dramatic, right? I mean, most of what we do, I think, is gentle persuasion, calm advice, sage reasoning and rationale. With no reality show cameras following us around all day, no producer nudging people behind the scenes to stir up trouble, 
No editor cutting and pasting our words into tight snippets that elicit excitement. The job moves at a snail's pace. We advise, we persuade, we lead, we're diplomatic. No drama. Usually no drama. A lot of hair pulling, a whole bunch of internal drama, but very little shouting or threatening happening out there in the real world. What we typically do is a process, and it's a process that's helped along by excellent communication skills and endless follow-up. You probably couldn't classify any of that as drama. And what about magazines? Are shelter magazines really any different? The stories, if you bother to read them, may tell of a design challenge or struggle. The focus of the magazines is really about the results not the process, and certainly not the drama. Every single photo shoot has its eye on the prize, the result, a great-looking room, a great-looking home. That said, if you're hoping to get published these days, can you really expect that to capture your ideal client? There was a time when a feature in the right shelter publication made a designer's career. There was a time when that was the only way consumers had an opportunity to peek into beautiful homes, beautifully designed homes, and they actually used those shelter magazines to find designers. I'm not sure that's the case anymore, at least not to the same degree. Print magazines are barely surviving thanks to slashed advertising dollars and a proliferation of apps that sell you 10,000 magazines for 18 cents a month or something like that. Most recently, Traditional Home, of course, a really well-respected publication, it's been around for 30 years, has announced that it is ceasing its regular publication and laid off a whole bunch of staff. That was a surprise to absolutely no one. It was a great magazine, but can great magazines survive in the current climate of disruption? The magazines that do remain usually rely on the photographer or designer to provide them with the photos that they feature in the magazine now, or they buy and repurpose them from other sources. So if you do happen to pick up a print magazine or have one of those apps where you can look at 10,000 of them, you're going to see the same rooms in several different publications. That never used to happen. So where does that leave consumers? Where do consumers look for interior designers? I don't know. Pinterest? Insta? House? There's a lot of noise in all of those markets, right? It's not like you've been handpicked and singled out and your mere presence in one of those vehicles means you have a mad set of skills, right? We're just one of thousands of people who appear in those spaces, some influencers, some decorators, some designers, some landscapers, some many who just want to dabble. Perhaps now that the status quo, glossy magazines are really going the way of the dinosaur has been totally and thoroughly disrupted, there's an opportunity for something new to enter, for some new way for us to get our message out to consumers that there actually is a thriving body of professionals who can manage their renovation and decoration projects without drama. Reality versus non-reality TV drama. 
So we can't really rely on television to tell our story, not yet. We can't really rely on magazines to tell the story these days. We can rely on social media. Of course, you can take ownership of your social media channels, and you should. But again, there's so much noise on those channels. How do you stand out? And because there are so many competing voices and some of that information is great, some of that information is horrible, some of that information is in the middle, how does the consumer ever wade through all of that and make a smart decision? Man, I got more questions than answers today. But something I've learned in my experience running an interior design firm since 1991 is if you start asking the questions and you can start picking away at solutions, eventually you'll land on something that works. So I'm just putting this out to the universe. So in television, in magazines, in lots of different media, the interior design professional is really portrayed as this one-trick pony who magically makes rooms look beautiful. What's so bad about that? (laughs) Well, I do think we make rooms look beautiful. I do think we make rooms look pretty sometimes, but don't we do a whole lot more than that? And is it possible that the consumer's lack of knowledge around what we do is at least in small part contributed to our own lack of acceptance around what we do and the skill set and the value we bring to every project. In other words, if I'm not feeling my value, if I can't project my value, how can I expect the consumer to understand what it is? Ask one of your design friends what she does for a living or what he does for a living, and invariably they'll say something like, oh, You know, I make beautiful rooms. I decorate gorgeous houses. I help my clients fulfill their wishes. Isn't that a description of the result of the effort? We make beautiful spaces, either through renovation or through decoration. Of course, that isn't the whole story. In fact, it's not even a fraction of the story. It's like the smallest part of the story. It's like the end at the summation of a really good book. The end. Boom. Drop the mic. The plot of the story, if you will, involves intense concentration, supreme logic, myriad decisions, vast puzzles, infinite coordination, patience, passion, education, and luck. It's a hero's journey. The room or the house is beautiful. The end is so much less exciting than the journey. So maybe we have a responsibility here to start talking about the journey in earnest, to share a more accurate view of what we do each and every day. Let's say someone approaches me and they say, how's work going? Chances are I'm going to say, it's great. We just finished this gorgeous condo on the water. I'm wondering if it wouldn't be more powerful for me to say, and in fact, maybe this is just for me. It's not even for the person asking. Maybe I'm the person who needs convincing, but maybe the more powerful thing to say would be, I love my work. It's infinitely complicated and satisfying. This week we had painters on one job site. The scaffolding didn't arrive on time, so we had to scramble and get them up to the walkway above. I have a full renovation team on another job in the country, and you can't imagine how crazy that gets with people getting their trucks stuck in holes the size of a Volkswagen because the roads haven't been graded, 
And on another job, we had a beautiful marble countertop being installed and boom, it got dropped. It dented the floor, which had just been refinished and it broke the countertop. So it's been a typical thrilling week and I can't imagine doing anything else. I love it. Maybe that's daft. I know. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but I can be really guilty of playing down my role on a design project, giving credit away to my clients, to my trades, and not standing up for the value I bring to each and every project. How many of you are king or queen of false modesty and you just watch as people allow you to give credit for everything you've done? I can be guilty of that. I can also be guilty of posting all kinds of pretty pictures and photos from my travels and my obsession with tequila, but fail to post job site images or work-related challenges that we solved or client success stories. These things speak to the challenges and the complexity of our work and may do a better job convincing clients to hire us than all the gorgeous flat lays in the land of Instagram. I'm reminding myself that I need to speak to the true value I bring to the table. Yes, the room's going to be beautiful, but more importantly, I have the experience and the wisdom and the know-how to manage a team and complete a job on time and on budget. And as a client, you just don't have that if you haven't been in my shoes since 1991, right? Something else I'm going to think about. I have in the past been guilty of updating clients and skimming over the tough stuff. In other words, I'll tell them the highlights reel. This happened on your job site and that happened on your job site and it's amazing and everything is great. But in the past, I would sort of skip the missteps, the hiccups, the problems, thinking that the clients are paying us to handle that. Yes, they are, but there's absolutely not a good reason for me not to tell them about those things. In telling them, I'm reminding them of their wise decision to hire me. So now rather than just hit those high notes, I'm also letting them know about the near misses and how we handled it. The, oh my God, I cannot believe that happened moment. And then, of course, the look at what we've accomplished. And I'm letting them know, I don't need you to do anything. I'm just keeping you abreast of how things are going on the job site. It's business as usual. We'll handle everything. It's been gratifying for me to see clients responding with stuff like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're there. Or better you than me. I wouldn't know how to handle that. I never realized by holding back that information, I was making it seem like what I do is easy when in fact, what I do is really hard. I just happen to be good at it, just like you're probably good at it. If I piqued your interest and you're wanting to tell your whole story and understand the value you bring to projects, then I can wholeheartedly recommend a course at Business of Design. Business of Design has hundreds of videos, and the very first one I recommend everyone takes is Step 1, the consultation and sell-through. The second video in that three-video course is about defining the value you bring to the consultation. And yeah, it's a consultation. It's not the whole project, so it's limited. However, it was a real eye-opener to me to see all the things I can accomplish at a consultation, and it made talking to that potential client so much easier because I could speak to the value I provide in a two-hour consultation. 
There are nine handouts and exercises within that one course. And one of them will have you thinking at least about the value you bring to the table. It will ask you questions about what specifically you can accomplish at the consultation, what the client's going to leave that consultation with, how long the consultation will take, and why it's an integral or integral part of the process. The goal of the exercise is to make sure you can outline the benefits of the consultation, the on-site process that's used to kick off the entire project to launch the project, and why it's critically important that clients hire and pay for a designer at that early stage of a project. I would say this information is vital to anyone who consistently undercharges or is unsure or unclear about the value they bring to the project. When it comes to television and magazines and other media, I'm not sure we're ever going to be able to completely change the story because entertainment, after all, is fun. And current models of entertainment seem to be fun first, facts later. And maybe that's okay. Maybe we all need a break from reality when we sit down in front of a television set. And with reality shows, of course, consumers are watching those shows because they want to learn about design, but they also want to be entertained and they're not going to endure some dry academic lecture. And all the information needs to happen, by the way, in a 20-minute half-hour spot that's further compromised by sponsorship deals, some of them subtly hidden within the messaging. So what would I like? I think it really... really boils down to consumer awareness. I'd like the consumer to know that, yeah, you can do a decorating or design project without hiring an interior designer, but the results are not going to be as good. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be time consuming. And at the end, your money will be gone and you may or may not get what you wanted, but you're stuck with it. I would like the consumer to know that. I would also like consumers to understand that doing project management is not something you take on on the side. You have this full-time job, you have kids, you have parents, you have pets, you have obligations and responsibilities, and guess what? We're going to renovate the house and I'm just going to do it myself on the side. That's a nightmare. I recently had a potential client say to me that he would like to take on the project management. And when I inquired about why he thought he was able to do that, he said it's because he's renovated his houses before. In fact, he had lived through two renovations, to which I responded, I've had three colonoscopies and I have no plans to give any. My humor was lost on him. Sad. (laughs) Anyway, this is not a doom and gloom story. We have everything we need to be the change in the industry. You and me and the rest of us in the business of design community. We could do this. We just have to start making it a priority. I'd like to see interior designers portrayed as a unique class of professionals who have vital critical thinking skills, who are the best problem solvers in the world who have time management skills out of this world and diplomacy skills that will blow your mind. I'd like to see us portrayed as professionals who deserve to be paid a professional salary for the work we do. I'm not alone. I think you'd like that too. And Business of Design absolutely would like to contribute to that new messaging. We are actively looking for smart ways to do public outreach and share and share a more accurate picture 
of the interior design professional. Believe me, once we have a plan in place, we're going to let you know what it is. In the meantime, we are open to your insights, your ideas, and your suggestions. What does the public need to know about the work we do? And equally important, how can we reach the public? What kind of messaging do they need? And how will that messaging be delivered? What would serve our purpose? How will we pay for it? It's a really tall order, but you know what? It's time someone or some organization stepped up to the challenge. Business of Design would like to be a big part of taking this on. With your help, I think we could do it. Public perception matters. So let's start thinking about how to impact public perception in a positive way around the work that we all do professionally. Thanks for letting me ramble a little bit today. I guess I needed to get that off my chest. I know I have not given you a comprehensive overview of the interior designer in the media in general from the beginning of time, but I do hope I've got you thinking about your story, your whole story, and the hero's journey you take every single time you start a new project. It is nothing short of a miracle that we managed to herd all these various elements into one place and make a renovation happen. Your whole story is fascinating and it's honorable and you deserve respect for having accomplished everything you've accomplished. Start telling your whole story and don't hold back. Yeah, I know the story leads to a beautifully finished room or a gorgeous home or an amazing landscape. For sure it does. But that's the result, the end. And it's a happy ending when you hire a professional. For design intervention this week, I thought it would be fun to leave you with some fun viewing. If you've never seen it before, Betty Davis did a pilot for a TV series called The Decorator. I think it was from 1965. She doesn't do anything to further our career, but oh my gosh, the outfits are so beautiful. The set is stunning and it's Betty Davis. We'll include a link to the pilot of The Decorator at businessofdesign.com. Thanks so much for being here and allowing me to share my thoughts with you on this episode of the podcast. You know who the real experts are, right? You. If you have a topic you're ready to talk about and you want to share with your community, we are here for you. Please reach out to us at businessofdesign.com or info at businessofdesign.com. We will send you a guest application to be on the podcast. We're looking for actionable advice that your peers and friends in the interior design community can input into their businesses right now. If you think it made a difference in your business, if you think it changed your life, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, you guys. So much love and support in this community. I can't thank you enough. And now I'm going to have to go deal with that scaffolding issue. See you next week. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.